guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. So I'm so excited about this conversation that I'm having today with Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. We are indeed going to talk about the family. We are going to talk about the recent Supreme Court ruling and uh, what we can do in the midst of this, especially as parents looking to equip our children and to love our neighbor well in what feels like, you know, a time of uncertainty and chaos in a lot of ways. And then we're also going to talk about uh, fatherless and why that's a problem, what it means, and again, how we as Christians can kind of run into uh, that problem and a lot of the problems that are surrounding us with the love of Christ. Before we get into uh, that, I do want to tell you guys, so my book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, my husband and I even have like a little song that we sing uh, with the title, but I'm not going to sing that for you today. It's just not quite prepared for you haven't warmed up my voice, and I don't think that you want to hear that. But that is the title of my book. It comes out August 11th. And uh, if you want to pre-order the book, I would greatly appreciate that. All you have to do is go to my brand new website, alibethstuckycom slash book, and you can pre-order it right there if you pre-order it. And you send your proof of purchase, so your receipt from Amazon, for example, to Stucky at penguinrandomhouse.com. You will be sent a free digital excerpt ASAP, uh, ASAP so before the book actually comes out. And so um, I would love for you guys to order the book. This has been a labor of love for about two years now. This has been two years in the making, and I could just not be more excited about uh, you guys having it in your hands. So uh, August 11th is when it comes out. Go to AllieBestDucky.com, pre-order my book. You get that excerpt. And one more thing uh, about that is that also on the Women's Book Club with Allie Stuckey on Facebook, we will be doing a study guide that is exclusive to the women who are in that Facebook group. So when the book comes out, when everyone gets the book, uh, make sure you pre-order it so you you can have the book when we actually start the book discussion. We are going to have a series of um, book discussions with me. I'll be doing uh, Facebook Lives and and videos and things like that. And I will have uh, this discussion guide, which only you guys will get who are part of this Women's Book Club with Ali Stuckey. So make sure you go ahead and join uh, the book club now. We're reading 1984. You can just jump right on in or you can just wait until uh, we start my book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. So just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that make sure that you know how excited I am and how ready I am for you guys to finally read it. Okay, without further ado, here is Jim Daly. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be with you. Yes, if you could tell everyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do. Well, that's a big question. (laughs) My name is Jim Daly, and I work at Focus on the Family, which is basically a Christian-based marriage and parenting organization. And we have, you know, great reach uh, broadcast that's been airing for a number of years, about 7 million listenership on that. And then globally, we have 13 offices around the world and probably about, I think the estimates, just over 100 million listeners in that environment. Well, I grew up listening to Focus on the Family when I was young. My mom loved Focus on the Family. and uh, of So you course, were forced to listen. Yes. Well, I was just talking to her about that this morning. She was saying that when I was, you know, a child in the 90s, that it was mostly just talk radio. And so, of course, when you're five years old, you're like, oh, my gosh, these people, I don't even know what they're talking about. But, of course, I'm, I'm so thankful. And she got a lot of encouragement from it. And I'm sure I did, too, whether I knew it or not. Um, can you great. talk? 
talk to us first about the recent uh, Supreme Court decision uh, regarding so-called, you know, discrimination against uh, LGBTQ people in the workplace. Just tell us kind of your thoughts on that decision and the implications of that for people who care about religious liberty, particularly Christians. Well, I think it's a difficult situation. I have, you know, a number of good connections in the LGBTQ activist community. And we talk, you know, almost every week about things that are going on. And I've seen that as part of my mission to reach out and develop these friendships because dialogue behind the scenes is really critical. And relationship is a powerful driver to move things. And I think that the difficulty at the high view here is the problem of somebody's rights have got to give way. And it's unfortunate, but it's just what I call the Gordian knot. Hmm. It's the mythical knot that can't be undone. And, you know, if somebody's religious freedoms, religious rights are being exercised, that means others like the LGBTQ community and hiring practices and other things are giving way. And the same is true, vice versa. So I don't know, uh, you know, when you look at these court decisions, I think from the Christian perspective, if you're a traditional uh, conservative Christian, you're reading the scripture for what it says that Jesus himself saying, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's pretty straightforward what the Bible means in terms of the nuclear family. And it's just out of vogue with some people in our culture right now. And I think we're going to continue to flip through this uh, era and try to define things. And again, I'm not hopeless. Uh, I trust in God. His hand is on this. Things do not surprise him. And I'm trusting that God knows exactly what's happening here. I think one of the best things that could be the byproduct of this is that Christian convictions will become solid, more solid than they are right now. So the church is going to have to uh, really understand what it is that it believes and then live it. And that's the best thing that we can do as Christians and do it in grace and kindness, right? Right. I agree with that. And I think it's also just important for me to reiterate, even though we've talked about this on this podcast, is that a lot of people had a problem with this decision, not because they necessarily think whether they're Christian or not, that they want to discriminate against people in the LGBTQ arena, but is it the job of the Supreme Court uh, to so-called, you know, legislate from the bench? Shouldn't this go through Congress? And so I think it's important also for us to make that distinction in the conversations that we have about these very understandably contentious and kind of emotionally charged issues, that distinction gets lost. It's just, okay, you're either for discrimination and you hate these people um, or you're against discrimination and you love them. But there's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more complex and and nuanced in the middle, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think Alito's dissent said that squarely. I think the opening first sentence, he basically says it's wrapped up in one word, legislation, and that's not the role of the judicial branch. And that's one of the great difficulties. I actually had a meeting, I won't name that recently retired justice, but I was in a meeting with him just one-on-one. And uh, we were talking about how rights are derived, etc. And he said, Jim, the problem is the Congress is too chicken Mm. to act. And our role is to Uh, decide up or down if a law is constitutional, but all these cases are bubbling up and we need to make a decision. Right Now, I understand the logic of that, but it still takes the uh, judicial branch outside of their lane, like you have well said. Um, It's not their role to legislate, even if they have bubbling cases. They've got to leave that to the 
to the Congress, to the legislative branch. That's their role. And if the Congress is incapable of getting something passed, they should simply sit. And that's a benefit to society to continue the dialogue, the discussion, the battle over what should be law in this country. It should not be the bench's role to make those decisions like that. And that's the problem. And probably that is the heaviness of heart that I have is that our democracy is breaking down. And Mm. that's what people maybe don't understand. We're not um, acting in the role that each three parts of government have been given. And I think that when that breaks down, we have no recourse. What do we do? Right. I think a lot of Christians, they hear that and they feel hopeless and helpless. Like they already vote. So they've maybe they've got the representative that they want in office or maybe not either way. They voted and supported their candidate. And maybe they're even involved in the local level and they try to stay abreast of everything that's going on. And yet things like this are still happening. We obviously don't elect these uh, justices and judges. And so what should Christians do in the midst of the breakdown of the democracy? I mean, what can we say? How can we petition the government? Do we protest? I mean, what does that look like? Those are all great questions. The one thing, you know, and I'll say this as a, a kid, a troubled childhood, you know, I grew up as an orphan kid. The one thing I recognize in my relationship with Christ is I don't, I don't perceive or believe that God is a God of apathy. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that anywhere in scripture. He doesn't say, well, kick back and, you know, just relax. Um, he's always calling us to the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, grace, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy. Uh, those aren't good alley fight weapons, <laughs> but yeah. those are the weapons that God gives us. So we have to act in that way to keep the character of Christ as believing Christians is to me most important. And then we've got to trust that the Lord has the outcome. So I would stay engaged and continue to fight, certainly express our concern about things like the Supreme Court going outside of their lane. This country was set up with very specific three branches of government, et cetera. We should be engaged. We should be calling our representatives, et cetera. We should uh, let our voice be known, talk to our neighbors, those kinds of things. And uh, there does seem to be a bit of fatigue that nothing is is going our direction. So why mm-hmm. don't we just give up? And I, I would just say, don't be uh, don't have an attitude of giving up. I don't think God honors that. We want to be engaged. We want to win people over to what it is we believe. Let me give you an example of that. I, I think the other day, uh, Planned Parenthood came out with a slogan. And I've been talking to some of my friends that aren't believers in Jesus, and just raising this as a question, which again was a great tactic that Jesus used. Mm. But Planned Parenthood came out the other day saying, you know, for the for the sake of Black Lives Matters, we need to support uh, Biden for president. Right. And I thought, and they said it's a it's a matter. This election is a matter of life and death. Yeah, I saw that. They literally don't see the contradiction <laughs> right. of that statement. It's right. it's breathtaking. And, you know, we did that event in New York last year where we held a rally with about 20,000 people in Times Square. And we, you know, we kind of did a little pun with uh, with Saturday Night Live, live from New York. Mm-hmm. And we had our first three speakers were African-American, Al- Alveda King and uh, Christina Bennett and Benjamin Watson, the NFL player. And Benjamin, I think, said, hey, more babies were killed by Planned Parenthood in New York City last year than were born. Mm-hmm. I mean, the greatest the greatest taker of black life is Planned Parenthood. Right. And it it just is breathtaking that the culture can't see that. And so we have to gently 
raise that question and raise that awareness and raise that truth Yes. Uh, while we uh, stand firm in our convictions. And I think also that uh, the national news and media kind of um, it, it weighs us down so much to where we feel like we are paralyzed by fear and hopelessness. But in reality, if we kind of take our eyes a little bit off of, you know, what the national media is telling us most important and look right in front of us and see that the obedience that God is calling us to is not always necessarily sometimes it is and might be, but it's not always necessarily to start a movement or to have a million followers on Instagram or to have a big platform, but the persistent and the seemingly menial obedience of day-to-day Christians makes the difference that God calls us to make. I mean, we are finite human beings, and I think our ability to be able to see all things and all problems at all times makes us feel like we're not, but we're finite, and we were placed on a tiny spot of eternity, and God has called us to be obedient in that And that's what I try to remember Christians to do. Be obedient in the things that are, you know, right before us. Like we can change diapers to the glory of God. We can invite people to church to the glory of God. Like we can serve in the nursery to the glory of God. All of these things God sees as major victories for his kingdom. It doesn't always look like a crusade. It might, but it doesn't always. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And that you see that is replete in scripture. That's kind of it. I remember I was just sitting in my uh, comfy chair one morning doing devotions, just myself. And what caught me is Peter in the garden and uh, Stephen being stoned, the contrast of those two men. And to you know, Peter's defense, he had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ had not been raised up on the cross, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit available for all who believe. So I give that defense of Peter, but man, what guy and probably some women today wouldn't strap on to defend the son of God in the garden. I mean, what an honor that would be to go after the guy that's about to arrest Mm -hmm. the son of God. You've been walking with him, but Jesus really rebuked Peter in that moment, said, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Uh, That is not my way. That's the way of the world in essence. And then you see the illustration of Stephen, who, while he's being stoned to death by those who hated him. Uh, He had the presence of mind to pray for them and ask God not to hold this against them. Mm. I think a human being can only do that with the spirit of God in their heart. And Peter, I fight that battle every day. Mm. I identify as Peter in the garden. I want to fight. And I think I've got to every day put my flesh down and say, Lord, help me to be more like Stephen. And it's hard because it rises up in you when unjustness or injustice is being done from a Christian perspective, but we are called to live like Stephen. Right. And it's hard. I had a lunch with David Horowitz, the former communist. He's written a book about how uh, Christianity is being stomped out by the left. I can't remember the exact title. He's not a Christian himself. And we're at lunch and he said, Jim, don't you realize you're in an alley fight and the other side has switchblades? (laughs) I said, David, man, I get it, but we don't come to the alley fight with switchblades. We come with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, and he went, man, those aren't good weapons. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, but it worked. That's what the church did in the early centuries. Uh, people died for their faith. It, it spurred the faith on. More people became Christians. Think of the, the oddity of that. While people, people were being martyred and crucified, more became believers. That's, that seems, you know, exactly opposite of what would happen. But we've got to trust that God's in control fundamentally, regardless of our circumstances, and stay true and do what you said. Just in your neighborhood, 
be engaged, do those good deeds. So they'll honor your father in heaven. That's right out of scripture. When we pull back and all we do is shout and, uh, you know, say words, uh, it, it, really does not make a difference. We must do the good deeds so they'll know what who God is because of those good deeds. And using your example of Stephen, when we talk about, you know, not fighting in the same way that the other side fights, that doesn't mean laying down. That doesn't mean being cowardly and not uh, sharing the truth and being bold. I mean, that's what Stephen did up until his death. Him. Um, that's why they you know, killed him. Exactly. <laughs> him praying for his enemies wasn't, uh, you know, an act of coward, cowardice or acquiescence. And so I just want, um, you know, the audience to be able to make that distinction is that we are still called to uh, carry the truth even when stones are being thrown at us. That is our so-called fight. And so when we say to kind of lay down our swords, uh, we're just talking about, or at least I'm just talking about not fighting uh, with the same kind of ferocity and the same kind of vengeance that we are seeing from the secular world towards us. Well, that is really well said. I'm glad you gave that caveat because I do mean that. You have to stand firm in truth and principle, but you have to do it in the fruit of the spirit. Uh, Because I think once you capitulate that, you're just fighting like the world would fight and you've lost your distinction in Christ. So it's true. I mean, we've got to calmly say we do believe marriage is between a man and a woman. We understand that you're going to disagree because of all kinds of factors today. But this is what God has called us to do and to live out and to defend. And we think it is the best way. And uh, even if the culture disagrees with me, and frankly, right now, a lot of people who, you know, are Christians are struggling with that definition as well because mm-hmm. of the, the cultural onslaught today. Uh, I remember last year, you know, we did bring your Bible to school and Drew Brees called us basically and said, can I give you a video that you can use? Yeah, we didn't solicit it. Right. And he, he did a, you know, a 30, 40 second video for us saying, hey, kids, you know, here's my favorite scripture. And mm. it's great that you can take the Bible to school. And then LGBTQ activist groups just hammered him. Don't you know you're working with the hate group? And yeah. I always ask people, give me, give me evidence of us being a hate group. We do defend traditional marriage, right. but we don't hate anybody. Yeah. And I've got friends in that community that will come to my defense. Mm. And uh, I think one of the things, too, is that we tend to caricature each side. And one of the things when I started reaching out to the LGBT community is they thought of every Christian being like uh, the Westboro Baptist right. attitude. Right. They, they, they thought of that as monolithic. If you're Christian, that's your attitude. I said, I, I don't know anybody in the Christian community like them but them. Yeah, and I don't even either. believe they're Christian, actually, in right. their attitude, certainly. And, you know, that's between them and God. But the way they express the faith is not what I see in Scripture. They were their jaws were dropped open. You know, they were like, seriously? I said, yeah. But we have the same attitude the other direction. There are some within the LGBTQ community that believe in religious liberty. It's not a you know, it's not a big number, but they're there. And mm-hmm. we've got to not think of them in a monolithic um, way as well. So you're absolutely right. Just to get down to the nitty gritty for, for one, for one second, I know that there are a lot of Christians out there who are thinking, okay, but what do I do in the specific situations to where, for example, you know, my daughter is, you know, she's Mm. playing soccer and she's on an all girl soccer team, but then they establish the school or the team establishes a rule that says, okay, well now we can't discriminate if, you know, a boy who identifies as a girl wants to play on our team 
team or play against our daughter, um, then that has to happen. Or, you know, the locker room, bathroom situations that I know a lot of parents of young kids are thinking uh, about, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want their child to be bullied. So in those kinds of situations, how can Christians be obedient while also, you know, showing the fruit of the spirit like you're talking about? Yeah, I think uh, equipping your children through dialogue and, and nurturing that dialogue, you know, talk to them about how to approach those things. Do you feel uncomfortable about this? If not, that's a whole set of discussions and questions you can ask. But if they do feel uncomfortable, are you willing to sit down with the coach and talk about that? Um, how far would you go to expressing your belief? You know, it, it's interesting. It's an excellent question because it goes to the very training of our children for when they become adults, particularly how they can live their lives in a way that exemplifies their faith in Christ. And I think right now the parenting responsibilities are so beyond just helping them to be a good student, to get into college, to have generally good moral character. That's now kind of basic and fundamental. Now they've got to be equipped with uh, communication skills, debating skills that they can tear down an argument in a peaceful way with a friend that is coming at them from a different viewpoint. And that takes real skill in parenting. Right. Uh, you've got to exhibit that yourself. You've got to be able to model that for your children. I, I can remember watching Hillary Clinton at the DNC convention, and I was sitting with my then 14-year-old, who's, who's now 17, Troy, and we're watching the convention because it's good. It's good to sit there. He had an interest in it, so we watched it. And there was a connection point where he uh, was observing the convention, and Hillary Clinton said, we need to defend a woman's right to choose. And the whole place erupted and standing ovation. I think very quickly, if not just the next statement, she talked about the need to support police departments and brave first responders. Nobody responded. Mm. It was like dead in the convention right. hall. And my 14-year-old looked at me and said, isn't that odd? They applaud death, but they don't applaud the people who protect us. Lives. And I went, bang, he's got it. It just yeah. came out. It wasn't orchestrated. And we talked about that. And you know, his ex exhibiting a, a Christian worldview, that's what that's what we're about. Yeah. And we've got to be able to equip our kids to articulate that, to believe it deeply, fight for it, yeah. and uh, do that again in the right nature, the right attitude toward those who don't believe the way we do. Yeah. And I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I do think for some parents, you know, when their kids are young and they are put in a situation to where, you know, there might be some kind of policy that allows for mixed gender in, in bathrooms and locker rooms and sports teams and things like that. A lot of parents probably aren't going to sit down and ask their daughter if they're comfortable with that, but rather say, you know, it's my job to protect my daughter from this. And I do think that there is a way uh, for parents to, uh, without, like you said, judging an entire side or judging them as a monolith or being hateful, but to speak the truth in love, not just to their children, but to other parents and to administrators. There is a way to voice our concern um, while still being loving and patient and kind and gentle, understanding that if you voice those concerns, there will be still, there still are going to be people who call you a bigot and, and call you hateful. But um, your example of Stephen is, is so right. You have to be able to speak the truth and your charge is to protect your children. And I think there's a way to do that with gentleness and love, don't you think? 
Absolutely. And I love the idea of age appropriate discussion around protection. I mean, that's core to any parent. And uh, I think having those discussions with your daughter, with your son, when you go into the bathroom as a seven, eight year old, uh, you know, just be mindful of the people in that bathroom and, you know, hear things that could happen. You don't have to get into great detail, but just make them aware. It's unfortunate. You know, we always hear the stories, you know, when I grew up in L.A., and this is really true in the 70s, I mean, uh, we didn't lock our door. <laughs> and so it's that same kind of thing. You know, this is the way it used to be. But now there there is evil in the world. And here's how evil is expressed. And people can uh, do bad things to other people. And you need to be aware of that. Yeah. And, you know, have that discussion at the age appropriate level. Right. So those, those are good things. And if you have the power in your local community to push back on some of the policies that you disagree with, that's a wonderful part of living in representative democracy. If we, you know, for as long as we possibly do. And so parents can't also be afraid of bringing those concerns forward. Um, I've got a couple more questions for you. But before I do, I've got to tell my audience about a sponsor that I love. And that is Simply Safe. You guys have heard me talk about them before that simply with an eye safe it is the easiest and most effective security system to use i have simply safe at uh, our home and we really love it it was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24 7 order online with the click of a button open the box place the sensors plug it in your home is protected around the clock you don't have to deal with a technician or a salesperson who have to come to your house and disrupt what you're doing that day you don't need to pay any outrageous monthly fees or sign, you know, long contracts or anything like that. It really is so easy. And that is why it was named best overall security of 2020 by U.S. News and World Report. Their 24-7 professional monitoring and emergency dispatch starts at only 50 cents a day. Head to simplysafe.com slash Allie, get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie to make sure they know our show sent you. Okay, Jim. Something that you talk about a lot so helpfully and effectively um, is the problem of fatherlessness. That is um, unfortunately something that has plagued our society for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be uh, getting better. Can you just talk to us about the implications of that on society as a whole and, and what we can do to help? Well, the empirical data is so strong here, and this is where, you know, so often people will hurl accusations at the Christian community that we don't believe in science and all these things just to, you know, besmirch us that, you know, we we do two things. We can chew gum and walk at the same time, and that is we can have a faith in Christ and we can look at science and interpret that in that way. And I think many people fail to realize that many of the early scientists were rooted in, in a relationship with Christ saying we're discovering the creation that God has created. And we do that through order. There's order in the universe, et cetera. So to get this down to the statistics on fathering, it's an amazing thing. And, and the more engaged a father is in the family, the healthier the family is. That's the best way to say it. Right. Uh, a, a child who grows up in a two-parent home is twice as likely to finish school, high school, uh, five times as likely to go to college. Uh, you know, there's just the data sets are, are there's not a negative direction. Right. Uh, so it shows you the importance of fatherhood. I think one of the most amazing ones for the Christian community is when a father becomes a Christian, 93% of the family members will become Christian. Wow. And when a mother does, and I think it's, it's not a besmirching of the moms, but mom's love is almost taken for granted. I know many moms are going, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, you just know that mom loves you regardless mm -hmm. of what you do. That's true. 
dad is a wild card. And I think mm. that's the power of the father that when a dad is living committed to Christ, think of that 93% of the family members will come to Christ. When a mom becomes a Christian, I think it's like 27% of the family members. And it's just that leadership thing that when dad is committed, it, it ripples through the family. When you look at pain in children that didn't have a dad, and my dad was an alcoholic. He left my mom when I was five years old. So I lived on that side of it, which I hope gives hope to a single parent mom for sure that uh, just because your circumstances seem to be set, the outcome isn't set and your children grow up to be super healthy, productive people. And it's probably in large part due to your love as a mom that over comes and compensates for that lack of a father and then good people in their lives, which I had football coaches and others that really took me under their wing and showed me what it was to be a man and all those things. But um, we need as a, as a society to do all we can to strengthen marriages. And unfortunately, Senator Lankford even said to me not long ago, he said, Jim, what I've noticed as a former youth pastor, by the way, in Oklahoma, he said, what I've noticed is here in Washington, we know as the family gets weaker government needs to become stronger. And many in Washington support that. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a sad truth that mm -hmm. with welfare and other things that were meant to be a safety net, which could become a way of life, end up destroying the family and, and the independent parts of what the family needs to do. A father who can provide and protect and do those things. It brings dignity to a dad, to a man, to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, right now in the, in the black community, 77% of children born in that community don't have a dad in the home, 77%. And then we look at all that is going on and we fail to look at the headwaters. You know, I live here in Colorado. I, I've hiked many times up to the headwaters of the Colorado River. It's just a little bubbling creek you can jump over. That's the problem. The headwaters of the culture or the family, that's where you learn empathy, love, how to treat other people. And when that's broken down, all hell is going to break loose. And I think to a degree, we're seeing that. And we have a lot of strong forces, unfortunately, in this country who not only disagree with everything that you said, but adamantly fight against it. They see um, putting a importance or a priority on fatherhood is somehow, you know, bowing down to an oppressive uh, patriarchy, which, of course, we as Christians don't think the word patriarchy is bad, but there are uh, people inside uh, that do, and they uh, don't believe that work adds any kind of moral purpose to someone's life, but basically that whether you work or not, um, it, it's all the same, that it doesn't change your attitude. It doesn't change your sense of purpose. It doesn't change your sense of morale. Um, but we as Christians, we know that these things are these things are true, that everything that you just said is true. Uh, so what do we as Christians do then in the face of these very strong, what I would call spiritual forces that are fighting against everything that we know is good and right and true, not only for us, but also and especially for the least of these in the country? Yeah, I think it's it's really important to be equipped to have that discussion, to talk about that, not to back away, not to be fearful. Um, again, the irony is for those who oppose that concept, they, they tend to laud science, except when the science works against them. Yeah. So point that out. Point that out gently. Here's the data. Get familiar with the data sets. Uh, here's one that is a mind blower. A woman who is living with a boyfriend, if she has children in the home, that child is nine times more likely to die 
at the hands of that boyfriend wow. in that environment because there's no connection there. Right. Um, it almost seems animalistic. I get that. But think of that alone. A woman and her children are at that higher risk with a live-in boyfriend. And that's that's terrifying mm-hmm. if that relationship goes sour. So knowing those data points and then when you go to breakfast and when you're talking to your friend group and all those kind of things, gently talk about that, you know, right. that having an intact, loving family is really important. And, yeah. you know, here at Focus, we follow all of that data. And one of the things we see that the best thing you could do to be in your parenting is to love your spouse. Yeah. Because when children see a stable relationship, that gives them the peace, the confidence, and the learning environment to become a better human being. So Mm -hmm. you want to be a great parent, love your spouse, and demonstrate that in front of your kids. And I just want to encourage people, too, that that doesn't mean that your marriage is perfect. That doesn't mean that (laughs) your kids, you know, never see you argue or that you have to pretend like, uh, you know, everything is all together all the time. I have, I have wonderful parents. And of course I heard them argue growing up, but just their persistent, not only love for each other, but their expression of affection and liking of each other growing up, I think filled me without knowing it, of course, uh, with so much confidence and a sense of stability and security that I know, uh, helped me become and do what I do today. Just knowing that you have that support system of, uh, and you're able to say at the end of the day, whether you're a young kid coming home from school or whether you're an adult like I am and you're, you know, wrapping up a day of work, whatever it is, to know that, okay, even if everything else falls away, like even if the career goes away, even if, you know, you had a bad day at school, you got picked on, you got bad grades, your teacher got mad at you. If all of that happens, you still have that bedrock of the family. You still have a security and a stability in parents who love you unconditionally and who support you. I mean, that changes everything for a child's confidence, I think. You're, you're, you're on it, man. We need to get you over here at Focus on the Family. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's it. And it's really not complicated. When children feel safe and secure, they develop into really healthy people. Yeah. And think of the, again, these families that are fractured and broken and have had a lot of stress. Um, you know, they, the, the end product is sometimes in trouble. Mm. And I, I remember going to Israel with Ray Vanderlaan. We do a series with him called That the World May Know. And Ray is a Jewish scholar. He knows the scriptures in a Eastern Jewish mindset, not a Western concept. And when you walk with him in Israel, so many good things happen. And one of the main points he, he makes, he said, Jesus is bringing shalom to chaos. And he mm-hmm. expects the church to bring shalom to chaos. That's what we sign up for. When sin entered this world, chaos entered this world. And you, you see it in no greater place than in the family. And so when we as Christians engage our neighbor, engage our friends, et cetera, we, our goal should be to bring shalom, God's peace to chaos. That's what we do. That's when we bring a, 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 you know, some food to somebody who's right. hurting or good input on ideas and advice on how to deal with that teenager that's out of control. Right. We're bringing shalom to chaos. That's our, that's our manifesto. Yes. And it's a beautiful thing to do. And just be equipped. I think that's one of the problems in the church. We just are living life in a smaller way than we should be. And that's going to work and having a good family and getting vacation in and enjoying one another. There's a whole nother thing. And it's not about comfort and leisure. It's about reaching into chaos and helping somebody around you, being Mm. a good neighbor. 
And we are conditioning ourselves to pull back from that. And I would say Jesus said, no, run into it and I'm with you. (laughs) Oh, that's such a good word because when we look out our window, we see a lot of chaos and our, my instinct is to retreat because I'm scared, you know, for myself and for my family and all of that. But you're absolutely right is that the love of Christ compels us to run into those situations with the fruit of the spirit, which you reiterated so well, so many times today. Um, If you could please tell everyone, you know, where they can find you or any other resources that you would like to direct people to. Yeah, thank you, Allie Beth. Yeah, Focus on the Family is at focusonthefamily.com or you can call 1-800-A-FAMILY. And I think one of the one of the great things that Focus does is we have free counseling. We have a counseling mm. department where we'll provide you an initial counseling call. It's hard to point to a single resource. I mean, Focus is a resource treasure chest. I mean, that we've got after 40 years of ministry, we have answers to almost every question. It's rare that we get a question nowadays that we haven't heard. Right. And I think it, it, it just needs to be seen like that. We're like the WebMD for the family. You can That's come great. to us and, <laughs> and get input. Yeah, and get just about anything. We have a, a marriage assessment. Over a million people have taken it. It just wow. points out your strengths and weaknesses. We have the same for parenting. You can come in and do that free assessment. It just says, hey, here you go. Here are the things to work on, Dad. Don't be so rules-oriented. Right, right. (laughs) But, you know, whatever it might be, uh, work on your loving skills. And, uh, yeah, so it's just whatever you need, just call us, and we'll we'll put something in your hands that will help Well, that is awesome. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You bet, Allie Beth. And your mom and dad must be super proud of you. You're an impressive young lady. Thank you so much. Well, they're a great mom and dad. (laughs) And thank you so much for everything that you do and for the resources that you uh, provide for us and really how you guys helped, uh, you know, shape my parents and then consequently helped shape my life growing up. So thank you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Take care. You too. 